Today our country faces serious challenges, challenges that require clear, informed thinking, thinking that's outside the box. Your host, Jeff Nyquist. To the ones that wear the uniforms, to the ones that lost their lives, to a nation that's been torn, God hears your painful cries. I will stand with you, my friend, for justice will amend America. This is Jeff Nyquist, and this is Outside the Box, and with me today is my special guest, Larry Clayman, founder and former chairman of the successful nonprofit foundation Judicial Watch, who has dedicated his career to fighting against injustice and restoring ethics to the legal profession and government. And uh, Larry, I think just about everybody in the country who follows politics knows who you are. Well, thank you. That's a nice compliment, Jeff. I appreciate that. You've got a new book out, and that's why I wanted to have you on. It's called Whores, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment. And I find it it, it is perhaps the most important book to, to come out in, in recent years on the domestic politics of this country. And I, I say that because, you know, I think back to that great play by William Shakespeare, uh, Hamlet, when Hamlet, the young prince of Denmark, wakes up one morning to discover that he is living amidst, amidst corruption and conspiracy. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And uh, this book that you've written, Larry, is the same kind of thing. It's saying, look, America, you are living in this political stench. The state is corrupt. There's something wrong in the state of America. And uh, you've been fighting it for many years. And people want to shrug their shoulders at corruption. Ah, it's corruption. You know, everybody's corrupt. There's, There's always been this. But wait a minute. Never before has there been corruption like this, has there? Well, it never has, and that's a very good way to put it. Uh, you know, it's worked on worse and worse. And the title of my book, Whores, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment, it comes from the Bible, actually. It comes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, where the faithful city has become the tarnished city, a whore, as uh, God puts it. And everyone takes a bribe. Widows and orphans are abandoned. And God calls upon the counselors and judges, uh, God forbid, no pun intended, to restore the tarnished city to the faithful city. In our society, uh, the lawyers and the judges are incapable of doing that. In fact, they're the primary problem, hmm. is that the legal system has become so corrupt that it can't address uh, or redress the corruption that exists in Washington and around the country in the political establishment. And we now see the result of that. Uh, this book is my life journey, you know, why and how I came to fight the establishment, we see a total breakdown, an inability to govern this country domestically and internationally. We had Clinton plus Bush. Both of them uh, drove this country into the tank, and they gave rise to a nervous reaction to Obama, far-left socialist, someone who many people question may be more sympathetic to his Muslim roots than to his Judeo-Christian roots, and I think probably the state of Israel believes that for sure, and the people fighting in the streets of Iran for liberty believe that. Uh, and we are in a in a state where people can't afford to eat. Uh, you know, they either have to go to McDonald's if they're going out for dinner or, or some fast food restaurant or eat spaghetti. They can't buy a car. Their houses are being foreclosed. They can't afford to send their kids to private universities, much less state universities. 
and we are in a state of meltdown. And that's why I wrote this book. It's a call to legal arms that we need to rise up. We're in a state worse than we were in 1776. Uh, this country is, is, and I hate to be you know, doom and gloom, I'm a libertarian conservative, I tend to be a little bit gloomy from time to time, but I'm really an optimist. I do believe that the people of this country need to rise up. We need to ourselves take action, not violent action, but peaceful action, uh, whether it's filing lawsuits like I do or going out on shows like yours or town hall meetings or tea parties or just screaming from the highest mountain, uh, notwithstanding you know, the ability to vote and find a decent people and perhaps create third parties that actually have some power. But uh, we are in a crisis, and the, the Deep Depression win worsens every day. The real unemployment rate is in the high teens, maybe even as close to 20%. Uh, and uh, our politicians, uh, frankly, here in Washington, where I am today, uh, are more intent on scratching each other's backs, buying $3,000 suits, a set of cufflinks, going to hairdressers and dyeing their hair all the same color facetiously, which I used to oh. be a part of, but I quit. And, and we are in a uh, crisis. And I'm afraid that if we don't do something, uh, the um, the revolution will uh, will go beyond peaceful means. I don't want to see that happen. Yeah, that is a concern. And there's another concern I want to bring up, aside from the possibility that the country would face internal violence. Uh, one of the most shocking scandals in the history of our country was the China Gate scandal, and you were set front and center in that scandal. And just to give the listening audience just a, a, a tidbit from that scandal, you had uh, Johnny Chung, a Taiwanese businessman, uh, give a deposition uh, in which he said that he gave a $50,000 bribe to Hillary Clinton with money laundered by Chinese intelligence. That's right. Uh, you know, that scandal uh, continues to this day. And one of the theses of my book, for is why and how I came to fight the establishment, which you can get online at Amazon.com or go to the bookstores and, and buy it, is that Monica Lewinsky was the lightning rod that drew the public's attention and investigators and law enforcement people away from the real scandal, which was treason uh, by Bill and Hillary Clinton and even some Republicans, uh, that they were taking money from communist China in exchange for returning favors. And in the case of the Clintons, uh, we shipped uh, technology over there through their Commerce Department under Ron Brown uh, in exchange for those campaign contributions, which allowed the Chinese to make their nuclear missiles much more accurate. It came from Loral Corporation. We uh, mm. lowered the export barriers at the Commerce Department, which then, under Clinton, uh, acquired the licensing ability uh, to send this technology overseas. And this was not addressed because the media which is also part of the whoredom that I talk about in the book, wanted to talk about sex, wanted to talk about Monica Lewinsky and all the other women. Like, not coincidentally wound up representing because they were threatened to keep their mouth shut uh, by the Clinton people. I had to defend them. They were ordered by the IRS. They were their houses were broken into. Their kids were threatened. Uh, it was a time in history that people too easily forget. And now uh, the Clintons, like many other politicians, have been, quote, rehabilitated, unquote, Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State. And ironically, she wouldn't be Secretary of State without Monica Lewinsky. She probably would be spending time in San Quentin instead. 
Hmm. It is astonishing. This uh, this whole scandal, and there is possible murder involved in this scandal. I remember I was in uh, Potomac Television in uh, 1998, and in waiting for the makeup, I was uh, met a lady named Kathleen Janowski, and uh, I had heard her in a radio interview earlier that year, and I asked her about her experience. She was a naval medical photographer who had taken pictures of what appeared to be a bullet hole in Commerce Secretary Ron Brown's head. He had supposedly died in an airplane crash in uh, Dubrovnik, Yugoslavia, and and yet there was a cover-up. The uh, x-rays of this bullet hole were taken. There was no autopsy. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you're right. Uh, Kathleen Janowski is discussed in the book Horse, and um, Ron Brown mysteriously uh, went on a trade mission. This is where the China Gate case started, my looking into campaign contributions that were being made to the Clinton-Gore campaign in exchange for Ron Brown's Commerce Department, the direction of Hillary Clinton and Harold Ickes and others in the White House, taking executives, including Bernard Schwartz of Laurel, who I just talked about, who was the head of Laurel at the time, on trade missions. One went to China, among other places, and the government would help you do business if you made a $100,000 contribution to the Clinton's re-election campaign in the Democratic Party. So Brown, uh, who was the Commerce Secretary, resented being used this way. Not that he was a terribly uh, law-abiding individual, but he didn't want to be Hillary's expletive-deleted tour guide. Mm-hmm. And he was sent by Clinton over to Bosnia uh, when he objected to all of this. And his plane uh, mysteriously went down in a mountain. Many people uh, have investigated it. They think that it may have been actually drawn into the mountain with, with radar. And he died. You know, he was cooperating, or was about to cooperate, with an independent councilman, Daniel Pearson, down in Miami, who was investigating Brown's conduct and investigating these trade missions along with, with yours truly uh, when I was running Judicial Watch. And Brown, you know, when he died, I mean, not just the human aspect, I didn't want to see anybody die. But, you know, going down with him was all the information that he was about ready to talk about. And Kathleen Janowski was at the Dover facility of the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and when they brought the body of Brown back, all the pathologists thought that he'd been shot in the head, 10 caliber bullet. And it was covered up. There was no autopsy. Uh, all this is discussed in the book. And uh, he was buried. And whoever heard of a cabinet secretary not having an autopsy, you know, after being killed? And at that point, uh, even the Congressional Black Caucus, which later supported Clinton in the impeachment proceedings, was screaming. They said, we want an investigation. You know, a white cabinet secretary could certainly warrant one. Why not a black one, like Juan Brown? And uh, they were right. I even filed a complaint in conjunction with the NAACP. Uh, before the Independent Council here in Washington to look into uh, unprecedented judicial watch uh, partners with the NAACP. And uh, nothing ever came of it. And this is Washington, cover-ups. Everybody scratches everybody else's back, Democrat, Republican. They protect each other. They perpetuate their power. And the Clintons uh, were uh, 
widely received and embraced by George W. Bush when he became president, probably because he was concerned that the Clintons had the ability to dig up dirt on his family. So it was tit for tat. And that's Washington. That's in a nutshell. It's, it's a corrupt cesspool, and we now see the result that the country's on its knees, about ready to go under for the, for the count. And this is the result of the Democrat and Republican parties uh, who have betrayed this country. And uh, I'm not you know, running as a candidate under any other party, but I can tell you that uh, these are no parties at all, no pun intended. Yeah, it is a grim picture, and we definitely need a change. Your book is so courageous because you name just about everybody as being part of this corrupt system. And, uh, you know, I say that's courageous because these people are powerful people. They can either do good things for you or do bad things to you. And um, I myself stopped being a Republican in 1994 uh, because I recognized that the Republican Party was corrupt and I didn't want to be a member of it. And it, it seems to me that when you have people who are corrupt, they do not make decisions that are wise or for the good of the country. And I just wanted to ask you, since so many people are named in here, can you think of anyone in Washington that you can say is honest, is a crusader, is courageous, who we should all support? Well, they're, unfortunately, they're all uh, dead. Oh, that's so, terrible. It's not, it's not funny. But I, I did, you know, I, the journalists that I respected most uh, during those years, and I still have an office in Washington, and I still spend a lot of time here, but the ones I respected most were Robert Novak and William Sapphire. And they understood the way Washington worked. But no one listened to them. You know, they tended towards republicanism. Uh, those people were very honest. And I thought that Bob Barr, uh, congressman of Georgia, who I worked with on the impeachment proceedings, was an honest guy who wanted to do the right thing. He's no longer in Washington. He's, he's retired. I think the head of the, the finance committee when the Republicans were running, and I forget his name right now, he tries to do some good things, but he doesn't have the courage. And, and none of them have the courage. Even McCain. I went up to visit McCain a few days ago and drop off a copy of my book. I'm critical of him in the book. Mm -hmm. He was the one who, who called me up to Capitol Hill and said, Larry, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And, and I complimented him for that. And I liked him. And he told me, my party, the Republican Party, you know, has also taken bribes, you know, from China and other places. And I want to clean it up. And he did nothing. He became the darling of the left when he was running the first time against George W. Bush. And his last presidential campaign was so incoherent that we now have Barack Obama, who is the bigger mess than even the other two presidents. Uh, there is nobody here. And, and that's the problem. If Mitch McConnell and John Boehner, McConnell in the Senate, Boehner in the House, and uh, you know Barack Obama and company are running this country, uh, we are more than in serious trouble. We're on the verge of, of collapse. Yeah. Also, I, I've had a chance to read uh, much of Michelle Malkin's book about the current administration. And what, what I find in reading about this is that it, it, it paints a very dismal picture of this administration. And you just made an interesting statement. You said that this administration is worse than the two previous ones. Uh, could you elaborate on that at all? Well, we've seen uh, what ACORN uh, did, all the election fraud. We've seen Obama's embrace 
you know, the radical Arab world. And I have Arabic friends and I have Muslim friends. Uh, you know, the entire Muslim world is not bad, but he's embracing some really bad people. And he's trying to do a number on Israel. And domestically, you know, the bailout of the big banks, the trillion dollar that have been spent, uh, you know, helps the rich and the powerful and people that he was you know, beating up against, claiming he was for the, the little guy. Obama's betrayed both left and right, and he's a revolutionary. He's a black Muslim, I believe. Uh, he has close ties to Farrakhan, to Reverend Wright. Uh, it's not far-fetched. Where I differ with people like Michelle Malkin, she only attacks the left, and or Sean Hannity, or uh, Glenn Beck. But there is blame to go on all sides. Mm-hmm. And this is not a marketing exercise like Fox News has benefited from. This is called saving our country. And both right and left have betrayed this country. So somebody's got to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not us versus them, it's the country. Yeah, and certainly a, a corrupt Republican who may be in the pocket of a foreign intelligence service because of his corruption could be even more dangerous than a Democrat who actually believes in socialism because he could take the country further without before anyone realizes what he's doing. Oh, they're, they're both extremely dangerous. Uh, yeah. about. The Obama people uh, are doing what Marx and Lenin could only have dreamed of in this country. It could never have happened by force. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the country has woken up to some degree. And people like Michelle Malkin and Fox News you know, although I disagree with their complete partisanship, have done have done good because at least they've alerted people to the dangers of Obama. But on the other hand, uh, the Obama people are extremely politically dangerous, and they are revolutionaries, and they mm-hmm. do want to transform the entire foundation of this country, which is based on individual liberty and freedom, the ability to choose for yourself. Uh, and to you know benefit by hard work, not to divide up the pie, as communists used to say, so everybody profits. Yeah. Larry, you used to run Judicial Watch, now you have Freedom Watch, is that right? Yes, and people can find it at freedomwatchusa.org. Okay, freedomwatchusa.org, and I, I urge all the listeners to go there and uh, and check it out. Um uh, of course, uh, uh, this present administration going to the left and being involved in corruption at the same time is a big threat to the country, and there's no doubt that we need advocates like Larry Clayman to, to pull it forward. Have you received death threats, Larry, for what you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always received death threats. It took a, a toll on, on my prior marriage, uh, and, you know, I'm inwardly religious and unfatalistic. So I don't worry about that. I'm 58 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the price you pay. Anybody that, that speaks his mind, you know, takes a risk. But look at our founding fathers. I mean, as Benjamin Franklin said, either we all hang together or together we'll all hang. These people risked their lives for what they believed in. The kids in the streets of Tehran right now, who I'm representing in a lawsuit against Ahmadinejad and the Mullah, uh, the people, students down in Venezuela have a case against Chavez and his corrupt communist government uh, for crimes against humanity. These people are risking their lives. What are we doing in this country? 
would any of our politicians risk their lives? No. You know, you have to risk your life. That's what it's about. Uh, there's no meaning to life if you don't stand for things. And if you do stand for things, uh, people will get upset. And I did pray for some people. Uh, there are some good people out there. There aren't many. Uh, but um, when you find them, you should say good things about them to, to encourage more people to be like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't help asking about this. Uh, is it is it possible that we're going to have a breakthrough legally? That we're that you see any movement? I mean, like the reaction to your book. Are people, you know, commenting on it? Is it? I mean, it just came out, but it, is it is it starting to have an effect? Uh, it's starting to have an effect, and I hope people go to freedomwatchusa.org and make a contribution or buy the book. That helps because I want to deliver a copy of this book to every person on Capitol Hill and the president and others. And I think that I can speak much more uh, strongly than Michelle Malkin or Glenn Beck because, uh, you know, I expose everybody in this book, mm -hmm. including the media. And um, perhaps if people start uh, to rally together, we can make a change. Mm -hmm. you know, we're all fed up. And uh, we need to return this country to basic roots of people's individual achievement, give them the to do it educationally uh, and otherwise. And I don't think we would have the great political divide that we have now uh, if we created the means to let people achieve on their own and, and people can come together. Yeah. Larry Playman, I want to thank you for being with us. I want to tell listeners, go out and buy whores. Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment by Larry Clayman. This book has the real story about our political establishment. If you want to understand what's going on today, if you want to get a sense of what's going on in Washington, you've got to read this book. And Larry, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you for your very kind words and for your support. Thank you again. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. We'll be back after these messages. On air or online, we're Life Radio 1020 WIBG. Christian news talk with purpose and passion from early in the morning. Now in life, you're allowed to support whoever you want, but in partisan politics, there are rules. To Grossman Afternoons. Someone suspects they're an illegal immigrant. The cop is more afraid of arresting them than of letting them go. Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays. That's how you're battling it. Yeah, not, I like that. We're not going to ignore it. And Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider. I think that's more than reasonable. I certainly, you know, we're talking about $12 million here. I don't think any reasonable person would blame you one bit. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. All right, we're back. This is the uh, second half of the Outside the Box show. I'm Jeff Nyquist, your host, and uh, we just uh, heard about corruption in Washington from our previous guest, and now we're going to have a discussion in the second half with my guest, Keith Rice. He is a, uh, a writer, thinker, who lives on the north coast of California. Uh, welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you, Jeff. You know, it's very interesting what's happened. We've, we've watched the new administration. I just saw this little bit, and maybe we'll play it for the listeners here. That, that, that's my point, is, is that 
Uh, I am not an ideologue. President uh, spoke before a group of Republicans and he said, uh, I am not an ideologue. In other words, you know, I'm not a left wing commie Bolshevik ideologue. He's implying that he's flexible. He's, he's implying he's flexible, which that's, is that's great to imply if you actually do it. Well, but he hasn't shown himself to be flexible in any area. No, I was really shocked by reading some of what some of the doctors wrote about the health care bill. And we can breathe a sigh of relief because since the uh, election in Massachusetts that uh, that Scott Brown won uh, Ted Kennedy's seat, that the health care bill seems to be uh, dead in the water. But uh, having a committee intervene between you and your personal physician and, and say what kind of treatment you can get is pretty scary stuff. It seems fairly totalitarian to me. Well, there's so many things wrong with the uh, health. I think they ended up calling it health insurance reform because it really wasn't ultimately health care reform. It was uh, the reform of the health insurance industry. They were bashing the health insurance industry because it was an easy victim to bash, wasn't it? That would make it, uh, yeah, so they ha have a target. You can't go after the doctors. Uh, one of the big problems with health care is the limited number of uh, medical people, doctors especially. Now, the, the, the uh, medical organizations have specifically been limiting the amount of doctors in order to make sure that the doctors who do work have a higher price they can demand, supply and demand. And are higher qualified. They're not going to be as many quacks. Well, you know, they could find more qualified people. But I remember even 10 years ago, a New York, uh, New York Medical School cut 200 seats mm. because they didn't want to uh, flood the market. With doctors. With more doctors. That's, which, that's fairly smart, isn't it? Yes. And, and that's just, they're, they're, but, but you can't go after doctors. No. The doctor is the last person you want to get mad because every one of us, is going to ultimately be in their hands. That's true. So who do you go after? Who's going to be the bad guy here? Who's going to end up paying the cost? The insurance company. The insurance company. Because, you know, I mean, no insurance agent ever threatened anybody, did they? So they're an obvious lamb to be slaughtered as a victim. Yeah, and uh, and and I think maybe it was the cynicism, the, the fundamental cynicism, which, as we saw, required the bribing of uh, Democratic congressmen and senators with with extreme lavish gifts. And, and it made me wonder, geez, aren't the other ones who were in from the get-go going, well, wait a minute, if I'd have held out, maybe I could have gotten more from this guy. Yeah, you could get a few more bridges to nowhere for your state. Absolutely. That would be it. Yeah, well, it, it, it is... Uh it is amazing how it's turned around, and it looks like um, the Republicans may be able to take Congress back in uh, the midterm elections here uh, this coming November, and that means that uh, Barack Obama could be a lame duck within a year. Uh, you know, I hate to uh, I, I hate to make a guess at this point, but it looks like the, the the Republicans do have some forward momentum, and hopefully Obama has exposed his hand enough for Americans to see that he really wasn't qualified to begin with. Yeah, but you know, you can't ever count the left down and out for very long. That's true. But you see, I'm not looking at the left. I'm looking at the middle. Mm -hmm. The middle is the one who's going to push the vote here. Uh, of course, the left has embraced all these wonderful young people who are told to vote Democrat. And uh, but I, I think we've we've got a huge middle in this country. Mm -hmm. In fact, this is what uh, what what gave uh, Scott Brown his election, in Massachusetts. Do you know in Massachusetts the number one registration is independent? Mm -hmm. 
uh, even though there are more Democrats than Republicans, independents outnumber both. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think so. I think it's the independent voters that are going to uh, th- that are able to see more clearly. And they're not they're the ones who aren't ideologues. Yeah. And and they're the ones that are, are basically so it, it seems like the system of checks and balances seem to be coming into effect in in this administration hopefully not too late and not too hopefully not the economy though doubling the uh, the national uh, uh, spending from 2 trillion to 4 trillion by the national government in the course of a year is astonishing and i i know businessmen who are afraid that the bond market's going to collapse a year from now because we we're basically digitally creating trillions of dollars we don't know how much money the fed is creating and giving to the government but it's it's understood that some of that has to be going on because we can't be financing all of this stuff from debt i understand that 40 cents out of every dollar the uh, federal government is spending now is not coming from tax revenue but but is is going to debt that wouldn't be surprising and which yeah. is which is really very disturbing because in a t- economic hard times you're you're increasing debt which means that you're debasing the currency or you're setting yourself up for a fall in terms of the national government suddenly having to cut all these programs that these people have become dependent on. Well, these are blatant fiscal improprieties, the the uh, excess and largesse of the Obama administration. Uh, it's the kind you'd expect to see from uh, European socialists uh, who tax their people at a rate of 60% and more. Yeah, that would be something our economy couldn't stand. You know, I, I, I wanted to discuss with you this, this movie Avatar because you wrote something not long ago about the movie and it kind of fascinated me. I saw the movie and I think a lot of people have. It's one of those blockbuster movies and there's a 3D version. Uh, and it's about, for those who need a reminder who didn't see it, it's about, um, a planet in the galaxy that has these indigenous people. They're like blue people. Spoiler alert, by the way. There may be spoilers in this discussion. Yes, there may be spoilers. These blue people live on this planet, and they, they kind of worship this giant tree. And they have uh, this this communion with nature that's supposed to be like the Garden of Eden almost. And these, these, these earthlings who have destroyed their own pl- environment of their own planet, Earth, are coming out there because they want some kind of mineral or something that exists there. And Unobtainium, that, as it turns out. Unobtainium. That's what the mineral is, yes. Oh, my gosh. The rare mineral. And so they, they want to they wanna t- destroy basically this tree and this, this great neural net that works through the jungle of this that connects with these people and that makes them connected to this kind of godlike planet. And, of course, the folks that come down, the, the earthlings that come down, well, they're wearing, you know, U.S. Marine Corps-type uniforms. They're they're flying like what looks like helicopters out of the Vietnam War era. Though, importantly, it's important to understand that they're, in fact, corporate agents. Yeah, that's true. Right. They're not just Marines. They're Marines, but they're Marines who are corporate agents. That's right. So the United States Marines are obviously associated with evil capitalist exploitation and the, the, yes. the, the poisoning of a planet. Here you have the two great evils in one, the destroy military the and together. industry yeah. working to destroy the most beautiful environment possibly in yeah. the universe. Yeah. And there's Pandora. There's the there's the, the, the movie Avatar takes place on a planet called Pandora. Mm-hmm. And I wondered uh, why they had to call it Pandora. As you know from the myth, uh, Pandora's box, uh, when, when Pandora's curiosity opened up, all the travails were came upon humanity and the last thing that was left was was hope Mm -hmm. and hope ties into obama's uh, election theme oh yeah so i don't know i saw a little connection there 
uh, with this, the uh, the hope at the bottom of the box, that, that it's all a big mess, but at least we have hope. And the director is uh, Cameron, the one who did the Terminator movies and did Titanic, uh, a guy who has a kind of apocalyptic vision. But in this movie, he is making the apocalypse the responsibility of capitalism and the and what appears to be the U.S. military. I mean, these guys, they talk with an American accent, most of them. Clearly. And uh, they, it, it, the whole jungle environment of the planet, you know, kind of a, is reminiscent of Vietnam. You know? Definitely. So you got almost this, this Vietnam War feeling, only the plants in the jungle and the people down there are, are blue rather than, you know, communists and the equivalent of a kind of Agent, Agent Orange kind of an attack to uproot the trees and to blow up the, you know, because these creatures live in trees. And of course, it's, uh, it is, to me, it is such a uh, attack on our way of life that if anyone thinks, if anyone who has read history of primitive peoples thinks that primitive peoples lived in some kind of idyllic setting, they better get rid of those notions right now. It was a barbaric society. Life was cheap. People killed each other at the drop of a hat. There were tribal wars. It, it is not ideal. This is and not. A toothache could kill you. A toothache could kill you. This isn't Ozzy and Harriet in the suburbs in the fifties where life really was good. I mean, this is this is an attack on uh, on all the things that humanity has achieved in the last uh, twenty five centuries, uh, and yet it is it is massively popular. The kids are going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. And even though people say no, th- th- I don't see any propaganda. I don't. They're absorbing the message. Well, I see this movie as I, I'm not sure what Cam- Cameron's position is. Uh, he may be simply tapping into the the tragic. Uh, uh, infantile sentimentality uh, that America has uh, proven it, it it loves so much as 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 electing and embracing Obama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the embrace of Obama was indicative of the kind uh, of the unseemly Obama. It was not unlike the embrace of this movie Avatar, which actually has this planet is a a, a conscious entity that seeks to maintain the balance. In the planet itself is a conscious entity that works with all beings, ostensibly at all times, to maintain a balance. And that's why the, the people of the planet uh, end up having a harmonious sense with themselves and nature. They have no creativity. There is no dissension. They are all part of the original Godhead without being, without Adam. Without Adam just, you know, uh, walking away saying, no, you know what, I'm going to do something God didn't want. And uh, this is where our tradition comes from, is individuality. Yet people are embracing this, this, this seething masses. In fact, one of the great scenes uh, is where they have all the masses swaying together as if in some primitive dance for this great ritual. And uh, this is the kind of trance that a lot of people are looking for today. But it isn't real. Uh, we don't come from a, a conscious planet. And I think the the interesting thing about this movie to me was that it actually was an apology for humanity. While a lot of people see it as a cry for environmentalism, the fact is it pits Earth, it pits planet Earth, uh, the people of planet Earth against the people of this planet for the most part. Uh, and the planet Earth, but it's saying that the people of this planet have this harmony because their planet has this wonderful consciousness. Well, Earth doesn't have a wonderful consciousness. 
as far as we know, yeah, we were born from the earth and spit out of the slime to fend for ourselves against any monster that might be hungry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, you know, so, uh, you know, if our mother's a bitch, well, we're going to be a son of a bitch. And that's how they portrayed humans in this story. Well, it's a wonderful confession that they call the mineral we're after unobtainium because <laughs> right. the, the thing that this planet possesses is unobtainable. That might well be, which is why I suspect that Cameron was having a little joke with us here, that he was tapping into the national psyche while kind of patting us on the head equally as innocent, naive children who are just going to eat up the candy that he's laying out for us. So we're a bunch of babies. We want to believe in this infantile world where everything is one. When we really come from a world where life is a bitch and everything is a struggle and and nature is is stingy and doesn't want to give us our living, we have to toil for it. On a good day, nature is on our side. On a good day. And uh, what's interesting is that is that there is this feeling. Uh, Karl Marx, if you read his works, he thought that work was evil. Karl Marx talked about his his future. He dreams of people who have to work very little and can spend all their leisure time, you know, learning the arts and enjoying themselves. What's really interesting about that is it is is that it it sort of it is infantile. It's it's very juvenile thinking that you don't have to grow up and assume these responsibilities and and work hard and 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 fight and struggle to build. That it that somehow it's easy to have a civilization and have culture. And um, and I think the American people, having been in a, this hedonistic shopping mall regime so long, they want things to be easy. And we, we imagine that capitalism, uh, you know, competitive capitalism has sharpened us. But in reality, the consumerism of capitalism has pampered us to such an extent that we're ripe for socialism. Entitlement. Here. It's because because it's the increase of the entitlement, which I, I believe began with uh, Roosevelt's uh, FDR's intimidation of the uh, Supreme Court, that uh, the, the notion of these entitlements, uh, beginning with Social Security, that couldn't be touched. It's now the third rail. And this notion of entitlement has just grown and grown and grown from one generation to the next. Uh, Keith, these are great thoughts. Um, I'm Jeff Nyquist. Uh, with me is Keith Rice. This is Outside the Box, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. WIBG 1020, live local radio for Atlantic City, Cape May, and all of South Jersey. All right, they oh, one five. Five kick, they bloop it, but the Vikings right there to field it. I think it takes guts to come out like you are doing right now. And if all of us will listen to this station more, I'm just so keyed up about it. We talked about it by the hour. We are going to pursue this until we're satisfied. WIBG 1020, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020, we're everywhere. back. I'm Jeff Nyquist. With me is my guest Keith Rice, uh, North Coast uh, philosopher and thinker, and uh, we've been discussing uh, the movie Avatar, the political and social condition of the United States. And um, uh, Keith, l- let me ask you a question. In, in this movie, I found it interesting that uh, there was sort of an, an uh, odd use of female characters in this movie, that the female characters 
played uh, a, a role. And I see this again in many, many movies where the women are in there fighting and, and, and killing and, and doing things just like men. That's right. And I, having, having seen some military training myself, having had some, I don't believe that, that women are as tough and as are strong fighters in a war situation as men are. I don't see women being recruited in armies to fight in the front lines. I see them in the, more or less in the technical jobs in the rear echelon. Um, I don't well, in see... fact, even the National Organization of Women, uh, their position on women in war is that the reason women should be uh, have the right to combat is because there's higher it's higher pay. Hmm. So even NOW's position on that is strictly mercenary. Strictly mercenary, and, and the thing is, is that you know I've I've studied military history and science, and every attempt to use women in combat has proved disastrous in reality. Sure. And, it, and, and, you know, people can argue why this is so, why this happens to be. But the movies again and again, you know, we see these female cops, these female superheroes, and they're jumping through the air and they're flying and there's these, some big guy, they're beating up some big guy. Well, well, to be clear, in this movie, the, the hero of the tale is in fact a male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, for, for whatever reason, maybe that's because, uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron's choice on that. But he gets taught by a female. But he is taught, he is taught by the woman. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, the mother to son. He was new to a culture. So to be fair, the, the, the main character, the main hero in the story is a male. However, none of the females who have any speaking voices, any speaking parts in this movie are bad people. Right. All the females with speaking voices are good guys. And, uh, not, none of them are, are the bad guys. No, no female villain. No female villains, uh, ex- that, that have any speaking parts. There, there, there was one or two females sprinkled in with the, uh, the Marines. The Marines. But they were, uh, you know, they were panned past the pretty quickly. The main female character Marine switches sides and joins the natives. That's right. That's right. And it's a, it's a, a female Marine that switches the sides and joins the, the, the Navi, the people of Pandora. And it's a goddess, uh, pl- it's a goddess planet. The consciousness of the planet is determined to be female. Right. And it's also interesting that, um, nobody died, uh, I don't think anybody died of natural causes except by the hands of the earthlings. The only death that was portrayed was at the hands of the earthlings. Right. So, so, so it's as if they are living in this childlike fantasy. And, and the earthlings bring death. The, the humans from earth bring death. The right. capitalists and the marines bring the death into their world. And that would be, that would be almost like, you know, to a, a liberal trying to deal with reality would be the death of them. Well, and also the male marine capitalist bringing death because, of course, all the females with speaking parts are, right. are good. Yes, and it does reinforce this cultural trend towards the, um, uh, how do you say, the raising of the, raising of the female uh, to goddess state. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, growing up, I mean, if a man were to consider himself a god, or anybody thought a man to be a god, that would be the height of folly. Right. But we find today it's normal for women to consider themselves a goddess or people to refer to a woman as a goddess. Mm-hmm. So uh, whatever it is, it seems the godship seems to come a lot easier for women than for men. It, it is an interesting phenomenon in our age of feminism. And, and uh, I've heard it said that feminism is a selfishness movement for women 
and of course, uh, a lot of the narcissism in our society that's driven a lot of the pathologies of our society, the neglect of children, particularly uh, the breakup of the home and the family, uh, this sort of pathological uh, uh, politics that we have here where the environment, uh, uh, environmentalism is used as a, as a weapon against uh, our way of life in an attempt to break everything down. Well, well, feminism is a psychosis of envy. It uh, fundamentally is a psychosis which is driven by the envy of the male. In fact, my evidence of this is that the the college girl today and young women today, in fact, have adopted the identity of the bachelor male of the 60s, who was the object of the envy of the fe- of the original feminists. So the, the, the 60s feminists who launched modern feminism underlying uh, the, the straight ones anyway, for the straight feminists of the 60s, the bachelor male was their arch enemy and their their object of great desire that they couldn't have. And they've created feminism in a way that now uh, here 40, 50 years later, that the young women can now assume the position, assume the persona of the bachelor male of the 60s. Cavalier, childless, uh, sexually active, uh, and without, you know, without a whole lot of responsibility. And you'll find that pervasive amongst co-eds today. So basically feminism is the destruction of femininity because it's the rejection uh, of the actual nature of woman and it's an embracing of women becoming men. Yes, yes it is. And this is why I say that femi- feminism has only actually reinforced unfortunate gender unfortunate gender roles not that gender roles are inherently unfortunate so feminism should be really called masculinism because what it is is it's just telling women that they it ought to be men be. uh it should be yeah but but it does try to feminize uh, men so ah, you know yeah, that is be, another point yeah because how can women become men if men don't become women that's right. It just wouldn't work. Because that's, that's how envy works. I get what, it's trading places, like the movie Trading Places. Uh-huh. You get what I had, and, and I get what you had. The grass is always greener on the other side of the gender fence. That's right. And I, and I think as a gender, uh, a woman is still unborn. And I think woman is unborn as a gender because uh, she has been largely isolated uh, and, uh, you know, in the home and uh, with the children and hasn't really found her voice. Uh, and or her soul, and I, I don't think feminism at all represents a woman's nature. And I think yet there there has to be a time to come where where some woman leader, some female leader, or a male leader can come up and help women try to understand their own femininity uh, in a way that uh, you know makes them more fulfilled uh, whole people. Seems to me that there were people understood what femininity was better before we started talking about it and rationalizing about it. I think it came naturally, and these kind of things do have a tendency when they when they come naturally before you uh, rationalize them, and it's like my golf game. Before I, before I got some lessons, I could actually get that uh, ball in the hole. <laughs> then you take the lessons, and you can't hit the ball in the right direction that's, at all. That's right. <laughs> no, anyone who's played golf knows how that goes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. No. It it is it is crazy making. We're living in a crazy making time. Uh, it seems to me, and, and when I see a movie like Avatar, and when I see an administration like the one we've got now, I, I shake my head and I think, what, are we all lost our minds? 
Sure. We're going to we 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 actually serious about this? I mean, where are we headed if we keep going down this road? Well, it's an amusing tale. I mean, you know, don't get us wrong. The tale is amusing, and if you want to know what it's it feels like to be like a 14-year-old girl, Avatar's a great movie. It's like rainbows and unicorns and yes, very Yes, that's true. You know, very it is. pretty animals. And all the really dangerous creatures there aren't really dangerous. Turn out to be actually nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. And in fact, they turn against the marines at the end and they defend all the people. Right. Who there's, they were who you think they were trying to uh, eat them, but Yeah. In fact, the planet does in the end, uh, the planet itself rallies rallies all the animals to defeat the uh, technology of the military and industrial complex which is, which is not you know it's just like it's it, it i mean didn't we see this in silent spring already i mean aren't we are we past the birds and alfred hitchcock's the birds right. <laughs> nature's turning on man i mean uh it's it's really it, it really is amazing to me that that people are so simple well you see that's just it with the modern environmentalist movement it's got it's really got legs it's got the legs of a centipede you know, it's got a lot of legs, the modern environmental movement. It's all over the place, and it's in the schools. And I dread, I've got a six-and-a-half-year-old boy. I dread how they present it to the kids. The, the way they present it is quite essentially, are you on the side of industry or are you on the side of the planet? And that is exactly what Avatar has laid out here. Yeah, You're either on the side of industry or you're on the side of the planet. Which means you've got to be a commie if you want to save the planet. That's right. You've got to be part of the group, the non-thinking, non-creative, non-individualistic, harmonistic type. And, of course, as we know, for liberals, harmony means you could be anything you want as long as you agree with us. And that's their uh, that's I, their diversity I, philosophy. I seem to remember the Nazis were into that one, too. It's uh, sort of one of those totalitarian traits. Uh, um, I, I look at the, the current administration and the green jobs thing. Right, and I, I, one of the things I do is I watch the green job. I, I look at it and I go, "This is insane. These green jobs have to cost thirty percent to fifty percent more. That means that you have less money to spread around fewer people, and you're wasting your money. Basically, it's not cost effective. Absolutely, you, nascent and unproven technology in many cases. And, and yet they've, I mean, all you hear here in California, all you hear is about this green job stuff, and here the state is dying. The state is dying. The budget is being busted, and they're going to push this. And there's no, there's no evidence. There really is no. Uh, I, I personally don't buy the global warming. Uh, oh, that's scare. another. I that's think another it's. One. I think it's the ultimate. I think it's the ultimate fear mongering card. Is yeah. that all life on planet is being threatened? I mean, sure, everybody does their fear mongering, but I think the leftists have found the ultimate fear mongering well, card. Right now, if you happen to be in New York, you are freezing. Because sure. they've had close to zero temperatures there on the East Coast for the last few days. Well, you know, with the uh, with 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 this the, the, this climate gate, the uh, oh yes, that came out back in, out of Britain. Yeah, the, yeah. the emails from they the were, climate scientists showing thing, that. Yeah, one thing they were unable to explain is why the temperature has not been rising over the last ten years. Yeah, when the last ten years has shown the greatest amount of CO two being pumped into the atmosphere by far. Mm -hmm. which is supposed to lead directly to global warming. Right. Yet, in fact, it's been flat. Right. It's inexplicable, so instead we'll just bury the data and hope they don't notice. I heard Lord Moncton's lecture in Berlin, and he pointed out that uh, what the emails show uh, on the climate gate is that they were trying to get rid of the warm period during the Middle Ages. 
And they said, gee, what are we going to do? This tree ring data is very inconvenient. It shows this massive warming period. And, of course, nobody's driving, you know, burning up all these uh, uh, CO2 back in the in the sure, 13th no century. Industry, no industry, no highways no, filled with cars. No, none of that. And so, and the population's a lot smaller. So how do we explain this huge warming period back then that's way warmer than it is today? And so uh, they go, well, we'll uh, get rid of the tree ring data. We'll just put in estimates. And so you, you look at the real data for these centuries, and then you look at what they did. They flattened it out. And they that made reminds it look like- me of that wonderful folk song, If I Had a Hammer. Mm-hmm. If I had a hammer, I'd flatten out the data. Yeah, he flattened out Boom. the data. <laughs> and that's what they did. They flattened out the data. And But Lord Mockton was funny. And, of course, he said uh, the Greens – are too yellow to admit that they're red. Sure. Was his <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm glad somebody finally said that. Yeah, it was a good saying because you, you look at a Copenhagen at this global warming conference and you see row upon row of red flags and hammers and sickles and, 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 uh, communists with red berets and the rest and Che Guevara t-shirts. And you, you're sitting there going, wait a minute. You know, and then suddenly it occurs to me, wait a minute, Earth Day, the big day in the environmentalist calendar, Earth Day is Lenin's birthday. Sure. Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, the founder of the Soviet Union. Hey, April 22nd, Earth Day, that's his birthday. Make no mistake about it. I mean, it just ties in perfectly. There is no, uh, you know, uh, number one, environmental danger being the ultimate fear mongering card used by uh, the Soviets in order to rally people against industry. Yeah. And it, is, it, just, it just matches up too nicely. You know, I mean, you know what's really interesting is the way the, the, the leadership in the Kremlin today distances itself from global warming. Here they inspired this whole thing. I, I had a, there's a monograph that a German writer friend of mine just sent me uh, a couple weeks ago uh, about how global warming as an idea, was invented by Andropov's KGB. Sure. And um, As an improvement over some of the previous environmental crap. Yes, exactly. Well, actually, 30 years ago. And, and what's really fascinating about this whole uh, uh, idea that the communists invented it is, 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 of course, Vladimir Putin here recently came out and made a statement, and he said, uh, oh, no, I don't, I don't believe in global warming. I believe in global cooling. Sure. So this is like an alibi. You're just well, hi- they're just hiding the fact that they invented it. Let's go ahead and say it's like Obama and transparency. It's something he wants you to have, not him. Right, exactly. So global yeah. warming, yeah, that's, that's your problem right. to deal with. I'm yeah. not going to. You know, and, and, you know, here's another one. Remember Chernobyl happened sure, in the course. mid-'80s when it blew up this nuclear power plant? A Ukrainian friend of mine uh, pointed out that uh, Chernobyl happened only in the time of year, the very rare time of year, when the winds were blowing away from Moscow, away from Russia, towards Western Europe, hmm. so that the fallout from the Chernobyl would blow that way. And, and that's not it, a coincidence? And But here's the other coincidence. This is the one that explains it all. Russia was trying desperately to get this deal to sell natural gas to Western Europe. And Western Europe said, no, we don't trust the Russians. We're not going to buy their natural gas. So they started building all these nuclear power plants. And you'll notice that the price of oil and natural gas was reaching a low point just before Chernobyl because nobody wanted it, because they, because they didn't want to trust them. And then all of a sudden Chernobyl happens, and everybody's afraid of nuclear power. Europe backs away from nuclear power. Maybe we want that Russian natural gas after all. Hmm. So there's been speculation that they blew the thing up themselves to drive Europe into their arms as an energy customer. A benevolent nation like the Soviet Union? 
<laughs> My goodness. It is funny, the low point for oil and, and, and energy prices. Sure. So, well, anyway, Keith, it's it's been fun. I want to thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks with for having me. me. It's been a great discussion. I am Jeff Nyquist. My guest, Keith Rice. And uh, this has been Outside the Box. We hope you'll join us uh, next week at the same time for another edition of our show. Today our country faces serious challenges, challenges that require clear, informed thinking, thinking that's outside the box. Your host, Jeff Nyquist. To the ones that wear the uniforms, to the ones that lost their lives, to a nation that's been torn, God hears your painful cries. I will stand with you, my friend. For justice will amend America America I'd like to remind the listeners to visit my website at jrnyquist.com and there you'll find a link to my most recent column which is about what the Russians are really up to. Um, you can also access all my columns on Financial Sense, my past columns at WorldNetDaily and SierraTimes.com and other internet publications. So I encourage all the readers to go there. There's lots of information on my website. It's a great resource and, um, and I hope you'll visit it. It's www.jrnyquist.com. That's J-R-N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T.com. And that's my website. Go check it out. There's lots of articles written by people from all over the world about the issues that are going to affect your life in the coming months and years. 